Welcome to Money Making Conversations. It's the show that shares the secrets of success experienced firsthand by marketing and branding expert Rashawn McDonald. I will know. He's given me advice on many occasions, and in case you didn't notice, I'm not broke. You know he'll be interviewing celebrity CEOs, entrepreneurs, and industry decision makers. It's what he likes to do. It's what he likes to share. Now it's time to hear from my man, Rashawn McDonald. Money Making Conversations. Here we go. Welcome to Money Making Conversation. I am your host, Rashawn McDonald. It is time to start reading other people's success stories. I say that every time I start my show, it's start writing your own. I always tell people, leave with your gifts or your passion, and don't let your age, friends, family, or coworkers stop you from planning or living your dreams. The interviews I bring on Money Making Conversation are people who are successful, so we learn the secrets of their success. My next guest I've had on the show before, I met him during the pandemic. I'm watching Netflix. He's Rodney Scott. Rodney Scott is James Beard award-winning chef, pit master, and founder of Rodney Scott's Whole Hog Barbecue. Operating restaurants in South Carolina and Alabama, Rodney has continued to expand his acclaimed brand of South Carolina-style barbecue and has been featured on popular TV shows, including the Today Show and Netflix series Chef's Table Barbecue, among others. There are plans to expand into Atlanta. We're going to talk about that because, you know, you come down to Atlanta, you know I got to roll down there and give me some fixings. I, you know, it's barbecue, then there's fixings because I'm from Houston, Texas. I know about them fixings. As well as two more locations in Alabama this year as well. He's here to talk about his first book, cookbook. I got it on my desk. Rodney Scott's World of Barbecue. Recipes and perspectives from the legendary pitmaster. That's my man right here. He's on the show. Please welcome to Money Make Conversations, Rodney Scott. How you doing, Rodney? Man, I'm doing great. It's a pleasure to meet you. It's a pleasure to be here. <laughs> pleasure to speak to you again, should I say. And uh, we've, we've survived so far in this pandemic, man. We're, we're going to get past this. Hey, Rod, you know, man, when I first called, man, I just saw you on Netflix, man. And it was uh, it was a, it was an interview of just joy because uh, I got a slice of, of, a, of a, it, it humanized you. You know, you know, you know, people in the kitchen, they, they, they chef, they barbecue and they, 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 some of them talk noise, some of them are humble and, and just watching your story, man, how, what, how, what was the impact of your appearance on that Netflix series, Chef's Table Barbecue on Netflix last year? Man, that, that, that appearance on Chef's Table was a huge impact on our business, um, a huge impact on on our staff as as well as me as a owner co-founder uh a human being period you know it's it, it's been an amazing ride it it, it kind of made me go to the back porch sit down and to suck it all in you know take it in mm-hmm. slowly and enjoy the moment because a lot of people they skip over it and i wanted to savor every moment that i could it, it changed my life completely well, it changed my life from a standpoint of just watching an African-American man. Um, because, you know, it's really interesting how we look at business and how we look at what is success and what you can do. Because you're an entrepreneur. You're a businessman. And sometimes people yes. see, they don't see that lane. They just see you as a barbecue guy, a cook, or a chef. But you run a business. You employ people. And so you can get stereotyped when people say, as a career, this is a career for you. This is a you that you're making money. You're you 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 have boys. You have a beautiful wife, and you have you're sustaining a, a very positive lifestyle. And it's a career for you. So, do you get caught up in the stereotypes of people thinking, "Oh, he's just a barbecue guy"? <laughs> I do get caught up as just being a barbecue guy, and I find it very amusing because people prejudge and underestimate what you know because of what they think they know about you. Mm-hmm. So it, it, it's, it's kind of amusing to me for them to see different. Uh, for example, I walked in the restaurant one day and he thought I was cutting in line. 
Like, where is this guy going? <laughs> and then once they saw me go like behind the counter and everybody started saying, hey, Rodney, it was a totally different look. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I find I find it a little bit amusing and, and they kind of understand that you're not just a guy shoveling coals, that you're trying to grow a business, you're trying to grow a brand. Um, you're you're trying to give people opportunities to employment. They 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 kind of see you a little different. And uh for me, that's been a great experience. I, again, I find it a little amusing when they just think one thing and find out so much more. Well, you know, in watching that Netflix video, your father saw you a little bit different because he you had ideas and he didn't want to change. Yeah. And so, and it wasn't until his illness that you was able to start implementing some of your ideas, which has led to the great success that you have now. Talk about that transition of being another person because that was his brand. That was his business. But you can get stuck in your ways of saying, I've done this all the time. It works for me. Why should I change? And it's, I guess it's opened your eyes to being able to, for new ideas and to listen to other people as well, correct? Correct. You know, all of that's been a, a, a an experience and and a learning experience to see how my dad behaved and how to carry myself trying to show people what we're doing and how we're doing it. And people get stuck in their ways. I get that. You know, they feel like if it ain't broke, don't fix it. But also I've learned that don't get so stuck in your way that you can't hear other ideas or hear other, you know, possibilities of adjustments to what you do. So for me, it's, it's been a learning experience going through what I went through with my father to learn how to carry myself better than I've been carrying myself or the way that he carried himself with new ideas or creations. Well, you know, the thing about it is that he gave you a start. And that's that's the and that I guess that's the blessing of you know you're, you're having a family that was in business because we as African Americans you know we don't even look at it as a, as anything that's passed down to us and this business was passed down to you it was something you learned but early on in life you know one of my favorite stories at Netflix was when we graduated from high school and the girl said all you're gonna do is just go down and cut up some hogs <laughs> yeah <laughs> <laughs> and guess what yeah. that's what you did midnight you went down there and cut up some yep. hogs <laughs> but again that's a stereotype correct yeah that is that is a stereotype you know people underestimate you she she didn't see me doing anything else but just that. And uh, once she heard and saw so many different things happening, it was she was amazed. And I don't think she even remembers saying that to me because she sent me some congratulations notes a couple of times. And I'm like, I wonder, do you remember telling me that that day? And I, she's always been that that extra influence to, I'm going to show you. Mm-hmm. I'm going to show you mm-hmm. and everybody else who thinks like you. Mm-hmm. And to this day, that's that's my thought. You, you're not going to tell me what I'm going to do. You're not going to limit me on my dreams or the things that I, I or my goals, period. Well, you know, I, and that's what we're talking about, goals. When you come on Money Making Conversations, so many people have dreams, Rodney. So many people have aspirations of greatness, uh, grandeur, as they say. And But yeah. but, then it, but that hard work is what you mentioned there. And you have, you have sons. How do you implement that approach to you know, they see you because, brother, in the end, them coals are hot and them barbecue pits are warm, brother. And their long hours turned out to get to this food that everybody savors or comes back and lines up for. How do they look? How do you how do you teach them hard work? But also they living in like I told my daughter, I said, you, you've never known not living in air conditioning. You know, you you came, you were born in yeah. a hospital. <laughs> you came home in the air conditioning car. You you've known air conditioning all your life. So, and your boys have known that same air conditioning. So, because we know where the first 
you know, Pitmaster Place was located at. So talk to him about your sons, and we're going to get to the book after that. Yeah, you know, I got uh, three boys, and um, the, the youngest lives here with me at home, and the other two are older, uh, 25 and 18. One's in Atlanta there, and another one's still in Hemingway, South Carolina. And the youngest one here with me, 12 years old, just yesterday, I was telling him, I was like, look, here's what we got to do to get to that great burger. You got first, we got to make sure the grill's clean. You got to understand that there's labor involved. You got to get everything going before you enjoy the food. And I try to implement to him that it doesn't just fall in front of you on the table. You got to start. You got to got to put in some time, some effort, some extra work. You can't play video games and all of a sudden come downstairs at 5:45 and, and be ready to eat. And uh, I, I try to teach him the hard work. The fact that when I'm away from home, that I'm not on vacation, you know, we're trying to build things. And I try to teach him how to be a better man than I, I could ever be. Well, you know, uh, you're a great man and you look good in the suit, too. They showed Netflix. You, don't, <laughs> don't, don't, don't fool you. This young man walking around in the suit, he, suit fits him just right. Fits him just right. Good, handsome brother. Here. But let's get to this cookbook here, Rodney Scott, World of Barbecue. Because Sue, they, yes, they you know, I'm big time, Rodney. They sent me a book, okay? Sent me a book. So as soon as the book arrived, it, it arrived UPS, all right? I immediately went to the cornbread. I, I go to the glossary all the time. And I said, this boy, he's a country uh -huh. boy. This country boy. Because I go to your, I went to your restaurant and I saw cornbread, the banana pudding, that's so collard greens. So I said, he better have the, the cornbread now. Boy, I went to the cornbread section, man, that, that honey butter topping that you put on your cornbread. I made this the same day I got this book. And because uh, my wife, I mean, here's the funny thing about it, Rodney. I don't use cast iron skillets. My wife always, you need to learn how to use cast iron skillets. So she, <laughs> so here's the funny part about it. So I took a picture of when I made the uh, the cornbread, right before, and I, and I put the put the honey butter on top, and and I cleaned up the cast iron skillet. And I, it was in the background of my photo. So all uh -huh. she saw was, I see that cast iron skillet behind you. I guess she went in our house and found it, huh? because that made the difference, man. That cast iron skillet. Talk about this cornbread, man. Like I said, uh, I posted it on my social media, got a great response. I'm going to post some more stuff, like the collard greens. I'm going to go there and get that blueberry cornbread. We're going to talk about a lot of little menus and little recipes in there, but let's talk about that cornbread first off, because that was my love, because I'm going to tell you something, Rodney. I get excited because I'm an old school guy. I take some buttermilk. And see, buttermilk comes in this cornbread, so it's a win-win for me. Cause normally I take yeah. the, I take some buttermilk, put in a half a glass, sweeten it up with sugar, then I crumble me some cornbread inside. That is outstanding for me. So I was happy, happy, happy on this. But tell us about this recipe and the cast iron skillet. Man, so let me tell you about that that recipe. That cornbread takes me back to my childhood with my grandma. My grandma used to make that cornbread. She used to use Jiffy Mix back in the day. Mm -hmm. And that cornbread used to be sweet and, and so tasty and thick. And, you know, back then, she used to sometimes give us a little bit of uh, uh, cane patch syrup. And it was this old school syrup that she would kind of put on the side every now and again. And, man... You're talking about a good night at grandma's house. Right. That'd be some good eating. And mm -hmm. I wanted that cornbread so badly. And we got with our chef, head chef, and, and we talked. And I told him, I said, man, grandma made this cornbread that was amazing. We need to develop this thing together. And, and we came up with that flavor. And before I tell you any more about that cornbread, I got to tell you, my mom, my aunt, and my cousin, who's 10 years older than me, came in. And they tasted that cornbread. And they said, where did you get grandma's recipe? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So... 
when I know that they were satisfied with it, I said, yeah, we were hitting home. We were hitting close to home. And, you know, a cast iron skillet, cooking that cornbread in a cast iron skillet is a lot easier in a sense because the heat is even all over. Mm-hmm. And, you, and and that thing just bakes right in there, man. All that flavor's in there. And you add that honey butter to it. Oh, man. You you don't know what you're missing until you had that cornbread. Oh, okay. I, I, I got oh, it. Oh, man. Okay, I'm just telling you something. Then, then, you, then you flip the script on the brother here. The Roscoe's Blueberry Cornmeal Pound Cake. <laughs> yeah. Yes. I know you said, yes. Bruce, Bruce, this boy crazy. He's just going through this book, just making everything. I'm telling you something, man. We're going to talk about, then I'm going to get to the collard greens. But let's talk about the Roscoe's Blueberry. I ain't never heard that in my life, man. Because, you know, some people use that cornmeal, like you do, cornmeal and flour, and just make the cornbread, yeah. all right? And it gives you that cake-like, because people eat it, they go, this tastes like cake. Well, you got flour in it with the cornmeal. But then you flip yes. the script, man, with these blueberries. Come on now. How did you think of that? Well, we were in uh, Birmingham, and Roscoe worked for us at the with us at the Birmingham location. And one day we were just sitting there talking about it. He said, man, this thing is almost like cake. Mm-hmm. I said, yeah, man. Reminds you of that strawberry uh, uh, shortcake you used to get sometimes. And he was like, man, what about blueberries? He said, you like the color blue? And I was like, yeah, I do. <laughs> Before you know it, man. I said, just make it. Then let me know what you think. And he did. And lo and behold, man, I was like, yeah, we're going to put this in the book. We're going to share this with the world. Let them know that this cornbread can come in several, several different ways. One of them is going to be blueberry. Okay, and, and there you have it. You know, you blueberry, know? blueberries are sneaky, man. Sneaky good, cause like blueberry pancakes, I love to death. You know, I'm not a guy that just, I can't just eat a blueberry. You know, but you put it in, you put it in this cornbread, you put it in this uh, pancakes, it's outstanding. And so, 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 you know, the thing about you, Rodney, is that you're a visionary. Let's go and be real about it. Let's, you know, cause you, you take an idea and you expand it, because your father had a vision. But you expanding on that vision. Now you expanding it into other states and expanding your brand. What are you trying to do? Take over the world, barbecue man? What you trying to do, Rodney? Trying to be a barbecue king? Yes, sir. I, I, I am trying to take over the world. I'm trying to spread the love everywhere. Because mm-hmm. whenever you find a barbecue, you find people in a good mood, people having a party, people enjoying themselves. So I was like, why not spread this love all over the world as far as we can? You know, right. if, it, if it's me, it's absolutely great. If it's somebody else, it's, it's just as good. Mm-hmm. You know, let's, let's, let's put it in as many places as we can. And every time I think about, should I do it in this state? Should I try it in that state? And I, I say to myself, why not? Just, just let's do it. Mm-hmm. And, and my goal is to spread, spread this love, this Rodney Scott whole hog love all over the world. And, and I hadn't stopped dreaming yet. You know, I'm, I'm going to keep on dreaming. But the, the beauty of you now is that you, you're a celebrity. Okay, uh, you know, I, if you walk down the street, people recognize you walking, especially when you walk in your establishment. They know, that's Rodney, that's Rodney. So, yeah. <laughs> so, so being a celebrity means you have a brand, social media, you post things, people engage with that. Talk about that, you know, and that means other people have, everybody has a bright idea for you now. You know, back in high school, then I have no idea for you at all. Everybody has a bright idea for you because you were just that, 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 that Rodney Hill in that barbecue stand. He ain't about nothing. But now everybody got a great idea for you. How do you slice through that? Tell us about your team, your team that keeps you focused, that keeps you organized, and keeps you on point. Oh, man, I got to tell you about my team. My team is amazing. And we got age groups that's even better. You know, Nick Bahak is, is my, my partner in this thing. You know, we came up with the idea. We sat at the table. He was like, let's create a Rodney Scott. And I'm like, man, you crazy. And <laughs> little did you know, 
that I would ever do it like this. And, and we decided to do it. And along with Nick, his son, Nicholas, and my man, Paul Yek, our head chef, we, we put our heads together and we just kept coming up with these thoughts and ideas. And they helped to keep me humble, to not worry about every little thing. You know, when I say, hey, man, I got to run over to such, such place and check this. They'll say, I'll do that for you. We got that. You take your time and focus on what you're doing. So they've made it well-rounded for me. Uh, Nick has this thing he called the balancing wheel where you have yourself, your family, your finance, your business, your brand. And you got to balance that thing out. You know, you got to stay healthy in order to stay in this whole operation and, and enjoy it at the same time. So we all make sure that we balance ourselves, our personal lives and everything together. And this team that I have, they make sure that all of that's perfect for me, that, that my background with the restaurant and my personal life don't ever, you know, one doesn't ever take over the other. Right. So they, they've been super great with that. You know, it's really important that we talk about this, you know, and I thank you again for coming on Money Making Conversation. I'm talking to Rodney this guy. He is the king of barbecue. I know I, I got my boy Kevin Bledsoe in L.A., you know, he ain't riding this guy. This is my boy right, riding this guy. He out there populating the states, the cities with the with the whole hog, the whole hog. Now tell us, what is the whole hog? Come on now, Rodney. You brag about it. I see it on TV. I can tell you right now, I'm not messing with that whole hog. Tell us about the whole hog experience, why it is on fire, why it's popular when they go to these uh, these barbecue shows, these competitions. Talk about the whole hog, and then talk about South Carolina style. What makes that different? You know, that whole hog is, is we, we like to describe it as a difference you can taste. And, you know, you go to certain restaurants, you'll see that they have shoulders or hams, and that's not the whole hog. When you get... Uh, the ham, the loin, belly meat, and some shoulder meat all mixed together, and you put it in a bite, you you, you got that whole hog right in the palm of your hands. You're mm -hmm. tasting every corner, every cut of that whole animal, and it's a different taste. And it is a difference you can taste. Once you taste the whole hog and you go back to a shoulder, you, you kind of understand what I'm trying to explain. And the way that we did it in South Carolina, we did the whole hog with vinegar and pepper. Right. See, I grew up on the southeastern part of the state, closer to the coast. And vinegar pepper is the thing over there. And, you know, we use the white vinegar, the crushed pepper, pepper flakes, as some people will call it, uh, black pepper, cayenne, some sugar. That's basically the sauce that we, we put together in that part of the state. And in South Carolina, man, you can go to Hemingway right now and, and say, I need a whole hog cook. And 20 people might jump up and say, I can do that. That's what we did in my area. That's what we did growing up. And, you know, I... I I've traveled in different places and people say, how do you cook a whole animal? They, they're amazed by it. And mm -hmm. my whole thing is, look, if you can't do it, I'll show you. Let me let me do it for you. And before you know it, they find out how many people can eat from it, how many ideas can go around it. You can put grits and pork together. You can build a taco with this thing. You, can, I mean, you got all these options with this, with this whole hog. So it's always been a treat and a, and a big thing to do in my area. And when other people see it from different regions, man, they're, they're amazed by it. Well, first of all, I'm amazed that because I, I, I'm from Houston, Texas. So I got a, a nephew. He has a barbecue stand, real popular, called Big Six Barbecue in Houston, Texas. Talented kid, makes his own sausage. And, um, and, I, and I tell him to follow you. I tell him, what my man Rodney, watch what he does. It's, and he's, a, he's doing very well in the Houston market. Now, but back to you in regards to what I see you do. You're expanding. Now, in the Atlanta market, now you skipped all over and went to Birmingham. You know, you went from South Carolina, skipped over Georgia, and then Alabama. Now, 
Now, we sit down here in Atlanta now. I'm kind of wondering when I'm going to get the whole hog experience, when I can just drive to it, not just order via mail or UPS or FedEx. Tell us what Atlanta experience. Talk, talk to us now, brother. When you coming right Atlanta. Atlanta, I'm trying to get to you as soon as possible. I've been trying to get there since last year. But here we, you know, here's a new year where we're coming. We're a lot closer, hopefully by this summer. We're counting on July, if we're lucky, to have things open at 668 Metropolitan Parkway. Um, the building is looking great. Uh, most of the construction is in. Um, we're, we're trying to get the windows in, the furniture going. And those guys are out there. They were, they were getting it. And this was last week when I checked on them. So they're making some progress. So we're trying to get that whole hog to Atlanta at least by the summer, hopefully no later than July. Now, now, can one order things on the mail or through FedEx or do you ship? Talk, talk, tell us about the whole operation now. I know you're based in, in South Carolina and Alabama, but can we order go online and order things, get delivered to our house? Uh, you, can, you can order our food online. Mm-hmm. Uh, not our food itself, I'm sorry, but our rubs mm-hmm. and our sauces are available online now, our T-shirts. And our, some hats is what we have available online right now. We're trying to work on that process of seeing about getting the food kind of where you can order it and we ship it to you overnight. But I want to make sure, though, you know, a lot of times that when, when you send your food out, you want it to be right. You don't want it to be shipped out there and, it ain't, and you're not ready for it. Right, so. right. You know, that's very true because it's like the experience because... You know, a lot of people microwave your, your your barbecue, you know. Oh, it's tough, you know. Yeah. And because you got to tell people how to do it. You know, you got to put it in the oven, put a little water underneath it, you know, make sure yeah. it stays juicy and stuff like that. But you 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 send it across, you know, they're going to microwave. They're going to zap it. They're going to zap it. <laughs> then they're going to go get some of that barbecue salt that they got from Kroger's. Not saying barbecue, you know, that ain't your sauce. Next thing you know, yeah. they got that on there. So you trying to maintain the right stuff because of the fact that that sauce. Now, I'm going to tell you, right before my interview, I dropped in a, a baked potato. See, I'm just telling you, I just love this book. This book <laughs> he, he has a book, it's the, the Loaded Baked Potato. I've dropped it because it's going to stand there for an hour, put it at 400 degrees. I'm going to tell you how I do it. And so, but I do but now you, the great thing about it is that in your book, you tell us how to make the Rodney's white barbecue sauce. Tell us about that white barbecue sauce that I'm going to put on this so baked potato. Come on now. That, that Rodney's white barbecue sauce, it was like, hey, you plan to go to Alabama, you need a white sauce. And I'm like, man, you know, we'll get to that bridge when we cross it, you know? And all of a sudden we decided, you know, can, can we make a twist on this sauce? And I was like, yeah. And and we decided to make a, a white sauce with, with the South Carolina touch to it. And, you know, that sauce is great on chicken. And in Alabama is where I learned that white sauce is great on chicken. And... The first thing I said was, we got to have something for the, the person that loves white sauce. And, and, and here it is, man. And we put it in the book. Man. And then, uh, and then I close. I got to close. It's, 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 well, first, I want to tell people, it's a cookbook and it's a story. And so I know I've just been staying on the recipe side of it. But it's also a great read about your life important people in your life, the, the 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 transitional moments that you had in your career. Why was it important not to do a cookbook kind of like memoir? It kind of like, a, that's what it really is. It's about different perspectives in your life that were very important to who you are today instead of just doing a basic cookbook, Rodney. Well, you know, um, when we were writing this cookbook, uh, my man, Lola's Eric Eli, hats off to this man. He, he walked me through the steps of helping me write this book. And uh, we were just we we're just going over everything. And I said, you know what? 
that recipe at that time had to do with me being a child at this age. And we started telling a story about each recipe. And in telling that, I was like, yeah, but that I remember that day didn't go as great. And before you knew it, we were talking about my complete childhood. Mm-hmm. And and he was like, wow, you know, you you're going to tell this story? And I said, yes. And all of the things I've experienced, good, bad, ugly, I, I said, I think the world should know that, you know, these are things that I've been through. Maybe somebody else has been through the same thing. And hopefully they can learn from this and feel better about their situations to move forward, carry on, to be optimistic about whatever things you encounter. So I decided to tell my story and and and, and I have absolutely no regrets in telling everything that's in that book. Well, the thing about the beauty of this book is that, a little, little background about me is that I, uh, you know, during the pandemic is where I met you during the pandemic, during an interview on Money Making Conversation. I bought a, a building in Atlanta and it had this one acre property. And my one of my dreams was I wanted to have my own vegetable garden uh, on my property at my office because I got a, a built in kitchen and I'm launching my show next month called Rushan's Kitchen. So, you know, I'm going to cook a lot of recipes. When I cook your recipe, I'm going to have your book sitting right there telling everybody this came straight out of Rodney Scott's. World of Barbecue book right here, credit given. That's how I do it on my show. And so I have, uh, I got lettuce back there. I got the cherry and the beefsteak tomatoes. I got okra back there. I got seedless watermelon, a row of seedless watermelons. I got my parsley and I got my cilantro and I got my uh, collard greens. So, and my jalapenos. Can't forget the jalapenos, Ye- yellow and white onions oh, yeah. as well for my pico de gallo because I'm a Tex-Mex food. Now, so... When I saw your book and I saw collard greens, I just smiled, knowing that I'll be pulling my collard greens right out my back of my building, bro. Woo! I, tell me, Rodney, you, you said, did you, did you put the Rodney, the, the, the sauce on top of the collard greens? Tell us about that, man. Come on, brother. Mm-mm-mm-mm. So me growing up as a kid, collard greens was not one of my favorites. So I always I always wanted to... uh uh. Stay, stay true to the barbecue game and the sides that come with the barbecue game. Mm-hmm. And my, my my partner, Nick, was like, hey, dude, you got to put collard greens on this menu. I said, dude, I'm not, I'm not a fan of collard greens. <laughs> and he says, how do you how do you know? If you never had your greens, you need to create a flavor that you enjoy. And I'm like, mm-hmm. man, I'm telling you, I don't like no collard greens. But I tried it so many times growing up. And he said, well, look at the list of ingredients that we think that you should put in there. And I looked it over and I was like, you know, I'll try this thing. And before you know it, I tasted those greens with that sauce and that pork. And I said, you know, I could do this. And I, I was surprised. The first time I ever tasted it where people could see was on that chef's table. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I was like, oh, man, OK, I've been missing out on these collard greens for a lifetime. And I said, we need to put this in the book. We need to put these greens in there. And they smell like the way my mama used to make them. Mm-hmm. They, I guess they taste like my mama would make them. <laughs> ham hocks. And Got the ham hocks in there, baby. <laughs> yes, sir. You know, put that whole ham hock in there. You do, you know. <laughs> and uh, when, when we did it like that, I was like, okay, these, these are not so bad. And I wanted to make sure and put them in there to hopefully inspire some kid to taste those collard greens growing up. I'm going to tell you something, man. Uh, Rodney, I enjoyed talking to you. I also got uh, some cabbages planted out there, so I'm going to do the coleslaw is in the book, Ooh. too. So you you already know I'm going to be, this book going to be like kind of dirty. 
when I finish with it, you know, after this summer. <laughs> That's what I want. But it's I want be it good there. Dirty. I want some memories in there, you know? Hey, well, I want you... some memories for you in that book, mm-hmm. not just nice and pretty on the shelf. Open that thing up. Well, you know, Tom Brady, I, I always enjoy talking to you. The second time around, you feel like a friend, man. That's why I, I can't wait till you open the place, man, so I can come down and you come, come out of my office and I show you for real that I wasn't joking. I'm going to show you my garden and show you my kitchen and I'm going to make the cornbread. I'll make your cornbread right in front of you in that cast iron skillet because that's a blessing to be able to have somebody as talented as you that you can show off. He said, that would be showing off to you. You know, I can do this, brother. You know, come on. Thank you, brother. Thank you. But more importantly, man, your book's amazing. Rodney Scott's World of Barbecue. Thank you for coming on Money Making Conversation again, Rodney. Oh, oh man. Thank you for having me. And I'm, I'm going to have to come by that office and let you do the cooking. Absolutely. Don't, don't worry about that. I, I saw the fried chicken with the pepper. and the, Come on, brother. This book here is yes. crazy good. It's crazy yes. good. And I forgot to talk about the banana pudding, but we ain't going to talk about that. We ain't going to talk about that because it's in the book. <laughs> it's in the book. <laughs> We will be right back with more money-making conversations with your host, Rashawn McDonald. Hi, I am Rashawn McDonald, host of MoneyMakingConversation.com. The Cafe Mocha Swag Award is a celebration of black men who are making a difference in our community by empowering others to reach their life goals. From civic leaders, businessmen, activists, celebrities, and everyday dads, the Cafe Mocha Swag Award winner this week is Jahi Winston. Jahi is a 15-year-old rising actor who has shared the screen with Taraji P. Henson. Kevin Hart, and now stars in the new HBO Max movie, Charm City Kings, with rapper Meek Mill. But he's more than a teenage actor. Where all of my work stems from, whether it be the roles that I take, whether it be the work that I do off screen, and the stories that I write and create and curate, I always want to come from a place, and how can I service my community by, by doing this? The Cafe Mocha Swag Award represents men who have strength, whose wisdom is assertive, and who is genuine in their spirit. Welcome back to Money Making Conversations with your host, Rashawn McDonald. My next guest, she's one of my favorites. She makes me laugh. She makes me smile all the time. Is Jody Watley. She's a Grammy Award-winning, trend-setting pioneer in music, video, fashion, and style. Jody's listed on Billboard's Top 60 Hot 100 Female Artists of All Time. She is Top 25 Dance Artists of All Time. She became one of the first artists to release a million-selling video, Dance to Fitness. Shape, 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 shape. She was the first woman of color to play Rizzo on Broadway in the hit musical Grease. She is an entrepreneur and she is celebrating the 34th anniversary of her breakthrough Grammy Award winning solo album and the mega hits like I'm looking for a new love. <laughs> Don't you want me? And still a thrill. And please welcome to Money Making Conversation before we get out of hand. <laughs> Jody Watley. Hey, Johnny. Come on, girl. Come on now. Yes. <laughs> How you doing, my friend? I'm great. Great to see you and uh, be here with you on Money Making Conversations. Well, you know, it's, it's really uh, always a pleasure. To, your energies always shine, you know. And I always tell people, uh, you know, I talked about that earlier in my intro about age, because people tend to start saying what they can't do when they reach a certain age. Talk, Give people advice about that journey uh, and not, not limit yourself, especially your friends and your family can stop you too, you know, and your loved ones can stop you too. Talk about being able to overcome the odds, basically, sometimes it's just you looking in the mirror, stopping yourself. You know, that is so true. And one of my mantras is just live life. Forget your age. Don't worry about what people have to say about you. Just live and um, and be your authentic self. And I think if you get hung up on age, it really will uh, prevent you from um, you don't know what 
the exuberance, the new goals. Um, you know, life doesn't end until it ends. And so I, I'm a big believer. And, uh, and that's why I'm always so exuberant. I, you know, with that you know energy, I don't think that about energy. age. I'm, I'm just me. Absolutely. <laughs> and, I, I like, and it's not about uh, trying to dress young. It's not trying to act young. It's being no. topical. It's about being able to live life. And it was, uh, my staff always said, Rashawn, look, you don't act your age. From a standpoint how I walk, how I dress, how I talk. You know, I watch television. I, I watch television. With my, I watch, like I watch King Kong, I mean, Godzilla for the second time with my daughter, you know, because I just <laughs> like to know different things and like to experience different things. Then I turn around and watch Captain America on Disney Plus. And then I turn around and watch different types of movies, different types of sitcoms. And, I, and I, I'm in tune with the news that's going on in social injustice and COVID-19. And that's really what we're talking about, staying aware, correct? Yes, absolutely. Being aware and also always having that, you know, that inner child that should always be within us to continue to learn and grow and explore and be excited. It's like get excited about being alive, being here, having new opportunities each day is a new opportunity and to let your light shine. You know, like I was saying before, wattage is your light. Don't let anyone dim it, reduce it. Keep your light shining. You know, and I, I wanted to get you back on the show because last time we talked was in September. And we were still was, you know, COVID was still wrapped around our neck, but we still were starting to see some light. And, you know, live live concerts were basically, live events in general were shut down. Everything was virtual. You really can't make money virtual. And so so the touring industry was just uh, put on hold. And so now we kind of, COVID vaccine, I will tell everybody I've been vaccinated twice. And I'm not putting that pressure on anybody. I'm just like, you know, that's what I did. I just felt that I wanted to take control of my life. I didn't have control of my life. I still wear masks, Jody, and I still do the hand sanitizer. But still, I feel a lot more comfortable now that I've been vaccinated. I feel like I when I when I get the sniffles, I don't think there's COVID nineteen. Okay, <laughs> <laughs> you know it, exactly. And I just had my first dose, and I posted a little short clip on my social media. Uh, first dose uh, last week, and uh, like you, it's like being in control of something that was you know out of our hands, and to encourage others to to do you know, do, let's do our part to get beyond this. I'm still masking too. And I will continue to double mask, even mm -hmm. though, even after I get my second dose, um, cause I'm comfortable with it now. Absolutely. You know? And so, and washing hands and sanitize it's, it, to me, it's a way of life now. Um, but I, I feel like you said, it's like when you get the sniffles or something, you won't think, Oh my gosh, you know? Uh, so yeah, I, I got, dose one and it my really, arm hurt like crazy though that was the you, only thing people it's like, like i got the get, i got pfizer what did you which one did you get because they, they don't moderna. So, like, so, so they don't tell you to get there what you're gonna get you know you so you won't show up i want moderna well they go you don't know just get in line when you get in line they're gonna tell you when they <laughs> hit you in the arm go listen johnson johnson they don't know but all i know is that you know just you know it really did change me in a positive. I'm not going to, Jody, when I got that, the first one I was like, you, you, you don't realize how much stress you are under 
live, walking around, you know, people coming up to you. Some people might come up to you, mass. Some people come up to you, but the mass don't guarantee you. Know, they, you look at CDC, they've changed the rules every other day, you know. And right. so when you get food, you go shopping. Did you touch the grocery basket? When you get gas, did you, did you, did you, did you transfer the, the possible uh, germs to your steering wheel? Did you, did you, did you do not? It's just so many things that, that come into play that now I don't have to worry about, but I am still cautious because that's the way we're going to live for the rest of our lives. We're going to be in a yeah. hand sanitized mode because they say flu, flus are down. Flu hospitalizations are down because we are sanitizing, because we are more cautious. So like you said, it's not going to change. Right. No, I think it'll be the lifestyle. And I, you know, I'm a uh, uh, hand sanitizer. I have alcohol wipes in the car. So when I'm going to the store, it's like, you know, <laughs> I've got gloves and sanitizing the gloves. And so, you know, constantly. But, you know, like you said, and I'd never even had a flu shot. Right. And so initially for people that, you know, uh, you remember when we were little and it was mandatory, you had to get the vaccine at school and kids would be crying and passing out. And so that was the last time I'd ever had. And I still have a scar on my arm from right. that. Mm-hmm. Uh, I and do this too. one, you know, it, as someone who hates needles, it, it was, you know, to anyone listening, it really it goes so quick. And it was just like a little sting. And then. I've never been so, re- I never thought I would say I was actually relieved, like you said, to to get, you know, step one and then I'll have the second one. But uh, for a vaccine, you right. know, absolutely, but it absolutely. was, it, it brings a, a little sense of peace with it, you know, because it has been stressful. Well, you have to get vaccinated because some things are happening for you, girl, with the National Museum of African-American Music in Nashville. So you got to come down to Nashville here pretty soon. Before you come down to Nashville, you was appointed as the first ever ambassador for the National Museum of African-American Music. I know a lot of those people up there. I, I put no, the, be- the building's beautiful, by the way. It's a beautiful building. So tell about tell us about how you got tied into it and what are the, some of the responsibilities being the ambassador of the National Museum of African-American Music and, and art. It's uh, such an honor, you know, needless to say, um, to be appointed as the first ambassador and it really, um, you know, being recognized for, you know, being a trendsetter in mm-hmm. music, my longevity, uh, my endeavors uh, as an artist, um, humanitarian, and a lot of the things that I've done uh, over the years. And, um, you know, it's it's important, too, to be someone who's always known for being, you know, uh, well-spoken, prepared, and all of those things. And so, uh, you know, I'm sure that went into uh, the decision. And so, you know, I, I encourage uh, memberships and um, spreading information about the museum. Um, So far, there's over 1,500 artifacts and more to come. They have interactive galleries. uh, They have educational programs. So it's perfect for music lovers of all ages. Um, It's not even that expensive. And for anyone who proclaims to love African-American music and love us, you know, it's not a race thing, but anyone can support the museum and the memberships, uh, you know, $50 a a year is really, you know, uh, 
doable. They say four dollars a month, roughly four dollars a month. That's what you were yeah. talking about. They, to support our history, and it is the only history of its kind in the world. And um, and so, like I said, for me, it's an honor to be the first ambassador. You know, there's a, a on the jumbotron in front is big <laughs> Jody Watley standing. Come on, now, Jody. Come on, Jody. And, Come on, Jody. Um, Come on, Jody. So Do your thing. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you know, it's really a, a beautiful. I, I I look at my career. I look at the people I've been involved in, and I use the word career because you have a career. You know, a lot of people get opportunities in this business, and you know what I'm talking about. It's like I, I look at uh, and stay relevant, and you're, you you manage to stay relevant and also have a career at the same time. And that's a scary part because, you know, you started out so young in your career, and now you look at it now. So talk to my, my viewers and my listeners about, you know, longevity and the word career in the words of Jody Watley. You know, longevity is the key because, you know, you can have uh, sustained success is what it's all about. And I think with the decision making, uh, with being a professional, with seeing the big picture, um, it's, it just has always been really important to me as opposed to doing things, you know, for, you know, quick fame or quick glory or quick dollar. Um, and so to anyone listening and watching, it really is always look at the, the bigger picture, even when no one else, you might be the only one in your circle, might not have a circle. Uh, and people may try to talk you into things that are very short-sighted, but you always have to have that vision. Uh, longevity is the greatest thing, uh, no matter what your profession is, but especially in the music business because it's so, you know, fickle. And um, and so I've just really worked at my craft and also been able to expand. You know, I'm a songwriter as well. Mm -hmm. uh, and so to have songs that I can still sing or songs that still get played on the radio, um, you know, past and present is everything. But I think a lot of people get caught up in the in and I'm very much living the moment, but when you're having your career, you got to think in the, the the long term, and not the short term. Wow, because uh, you know, I know that um, I remember when I first walked on stage doing stand-up comedy in college, and and all it was was just it's just an idea. I don't know why I was on stage, but I just knew I had something I wanted to do. At what point in your career, because you were just blessed with gifts, you know, and God, I always believe God gives us all gifts. It's what we do with those gifts and how much work we put into following that dream or opportunity. When did you realize this was something that you could do versus something that you was given opportunity to pursue? In other words, you can make money off this, you can live off this. Then comes the challenges of, like I said, sustainability. Great question. Um, you know, when I was first starting out, like I said, I always hope that, you know, it's like given an opportunity, um, being prepared because my dad, you know, rest his soul. He used to always talk about uh, planning, preparation and purpose. And so it was kind of ingrained in me. Uh, so when opportunity was ready, was presenting itself, I was ready for it. So within the opportunity is how I handled it, how I handled the adversity, how I handled, you know, learning from mistakes and always using the knowledge to, to improve my situation, you know, starting out 
you know, not really knowing about the the business of mm-hmm. music, um, but learning the business of music is more business than it is. You know, they call it show business for a reason. So <laughs> yes, they do. the business part is, and a lot of people get that wrong as they get caught up in, oh, I'm famous and I never cared about being famous. I can tell you that I always wanted to be you know, a performer, have my own business, um, design clothes. Like I always had a lot of ambition, um, but I've always been really level-headed. And I think when I knew I would make a living, it just, and maybe I always believed that, um, but there was no one moment where I said, oh, I can make a living from this. Right. Yeah. You know, it's really interesting when you say that because you don't. You know, sometimes you just get in the moment and you then all of a sudden, you know, the first part of it is just enthusiasm. You know, yeah. walking on stage, seeing all these people, you know, you know, it's almost you can almost get caught up in it. And so but you have to somewhere along the line, put those blinders on and slow down and go. Okay, what do I want to do? And those are the tough decisions that you have to make because it allows you now to be inducted into the um, National Museum of African American Music in June of 2021. If that's not a great thing to happen post-pandemic, because it couldn't have happened in 2020, tell us about getting that phone call. Tell us about, you know, just putting yourself in. That's that's iconic. That's, that's, That's beautiful. You know, tears, actually, and uh, wishing my dad was here, but I know he's smiling from above because he was the one that always, you know, instilled so many, you know, great principles in me and said, you know, I was going to be a star and all those things. But also at the same time, you know, uh, remember, only the strong survive. Mm-hmm. He always, it, my dad, he used to get on my nerves because he always had these pearls of wisdom that he would <laughs> drop. And it's just like, oh my God, you know, but I'm so thankful because it stuck with me. You know, it stuck with me. And I think that's why the fame part of it never has really, is to be proud of my work right. and to, um, inspire other people is very important to me. And I, I, I think that I always hope that that is the example that I continue to, to set, you know, um, and to, to have it by being my authentic self, mm-hmm. uh, to have the style that I have and to have influenced so many people and to be recognized for that in this national museum of African-American music. It's just it's just a blessing. No, let me ask you this, because you got a lot of looks now, Jody. Okay, now you got a lot of looks now. You know, we can go back, Kurt. That's true. You, know, so you got the exercise <laughs> look. You got the, I'm looking for, you know what I'm saying? You got, and so you got the second time around. You got that look. You got so many great looks. So so is it going to be a wax? When I go up there in Nashville, am I going to see a wax figure of you? I'm going to see a photo. What iconic look are they going to have for you on display at the you museum in Nashville? It. I can't give it away oh, yet. come on. It's, it's, it, is, it is Jody Watley, and it's one of my solo iconic looks. <laughs> And um, I'm just so, like I said, I can't wait to see it and how they put the installation together. Um, But I'm curating uh, some of my most curate iconic pieces um, for people to see. So when they see it, they'll be like, oh, my God, you know, 
uh, from the jumbo hoop earrings. Yeah, that's what I'm talking about. I'm talking about. I forgot to put them on today. But, you know, it, you'll know, it's like, that's Jody Wallet. Oh my God, you know. So uh, I'm just so excited. I, I, it's unbelievable. Well, you know, the, 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 and we're having fun because, you know, and I'm just teasing you out of just out of tremendous respect and trying to get a little inside information on money making conversation. But I know the big prize is being there in June. Being there at this celebration with family, with friends, industry executives, uh, other legends in the building. I, I, I've been fortunate to be recognized for my, my talents and what I've done in this business. And it's really kind of interesting, Jody, because you don't, you know, you live a life so fast and live a life so to the next moment. Sometimes you have to, you don't even look back and realize that path of success. And I, I, I mentioned only a few things that you've accomplished in your amazing life. So, I like you said, when you got the call, you were in tears. Now, as it gets closer, we're in April, May, June, okay? It's a couple of months now. Right. Well, you know, that's <laughs> the thing, too, about getting the vaccine, because I haven't traveled, mm-hmm. and I'll probably have some sort of PTSD, you know, <laughs> just being and not really being around too many people. I've really been in a in a bubble, and so uh, so I'm excited to make the trip. Uh, to Nashville, and um, you know, uh, it's, it's, it's going to be beautiful. Well, you know, because you know, people gonna want to you know be on that red carpet. Okay, got to turn this way. Got to turn this way. People gonna want to want you to touch them. They're gonna want you to do some <laughs> selfies. Girl, you better be you better be mic'd up. Got your little plastic shield on your face. <laughs> you better have your little. You better have some fancy I, I little gloves. Have a special de- design, something <laughs> you know. <laughs> oh, you know, but you know, but the blessing is thirty four years anniversary of your that 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 single that that they put you out there and made you a star at a next, let me say, let me correct it, a next level star as a solo artist, because that's all we ever want. Because you can be in a group and maintain success, but, you know, you got to kind of grow as a group. You got to train as a group, got to answer as a group. But when that album dropped, what was the most defining moment for you at that time? Oh, you know what? Um... Before winning the Grammy Award for Best New Artist, when the single started taking out my first, the debut single, Looking for a New Love, and um, when it started taking off, uh, and and Joe Busby, who signed me, who was just so amazing and uh, has so much confidence in me and allowed me to present my authentic self. I said, Gerald, I just, you know, I want to be Jody Watley. I don't want to be marketed as formerly. Uh, I just, it's Jody Watley, Jody Watley. And this is how I want the visuals to be. And so he really, you know, we all need someone like that. And he was the one, he just gave me the freedom, but then galvanized the company, um, and the single right away, it just started taking off. And, you know, I was going kind of like a politician. I mean, Gerald had me going across the country, <laughs> shaking hands and meet and greets and, you know, radio uh, stations and mm-hmm. fish fries <laughs> and at the park. And I, I was meeting everybody, you know, and was happy to do it. And so there was such an, a positive anticipation and, um, and th- they loved the song. Mm-hmm. And then they just really um, connected with me, with the grassroots effort that was invaluable. Mm-hmm. And um, I just, 
I never in my wildest dreams, I, I thought it was good, you know, but we all think our work is good and great. But it just, it just took off like. That's beautiful. It's just like God just made it happen. Well, you, you know, you so, was our girlfriend, you know, you, you was our girlfriend, you know, our, our, our buddy, <laughs> our, you know, somebody, because you were natural, you know, there was nothing overblown about you. You just sound like somebody we could walk up, talk to. That's why he put you in those, those natural environments where people can see you just like them. You just have some, some talents that God gave you that now you're sharing in the music. Now, before we go, I got to talk about your signature line. You know, we, you know, this is about money making conversation. It's entrepreneurship. Entrepreneurship. Yes. <laughs> I don't want to get lost. And the induction is great. The announcement, the ambassadorship is great. But we know we're about to roll into this June event. We're about to announcement the new arrival of some of your signature lines, your home uh, life body mist, and your calm, the comfort, different things. Let's talk about the things in your shop. So we in June, you know, I'm, I'm you know, I'm gonna come with you. I'm gonna, I'm trying to come up there and be with you. But more importantly, <laughs> I'm gonna promote. All these things and try to create a, a, a galvanized synergy because a lot of media is going to be around you in the month of June. So let's talk about yeah. your entrepreneurship background, your signature home line. So the, the candle line, the signature uh, line is uh, luxury soy candles, clean burning. Um, you know, I've always been into personal wellness. It goes back to the fitness video, Dance mm-hmm. to Fitness. Um, so it's just a natural progression. So uh, we have calm and comfort and sanctuary. Uh, the body mist is coming. That's a new that will be here uh, in May in time for Mother's Day. I even I'm doing a conditioning beard oil okay, okay. for uh, for men. <laughs> oh, come on, that girl. You know I got to get some of that. Just, I'm gonna tell you some, Jody. I'm going to buy. It. Don't send me nothing. Tell me when the, is the link out now? You have the link. I can buy it now. Yeah, the uh, the the oil is not there yet, but this the, it's jodywatleyshop.com is my online store. Okay, let me know when the when the oil for the for the beard comes out because I'm gonna buy. I don't do that. Okay. The, send me free stuff. No, no, no. You you my people. People take care of each other. We family. Let me. I'm gonna buy. I'm gonna buy so I, so I can tell everybody. Oh, I got Jody Watley all on my face. Yes. Smells <laughs> <laughs> um, good too. Oh, come on now. Come on now. Come on now. I'm gonna be dancing. In my seats, come on. <laughs> That's what I want. <laughs> you know, because it, you, you, the, the thing about it is that so it's, it's Jody Watley net forward slash shop, correct? That's 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 the no, shop. Just go to just go to jodywatleyshop.com. That's cool. the actual store. Okay, cool. That's that's amazing. That's beautiful. So so and so with the so the number of things we got coming up. You got some some beard oil for people like me, Rashad McDonald, who's trying to look good. They just want a little Jody on them, little Jody on them. That's all. The body mess, and you can light the candles, <laughs> your wife, and just you know, it's something for everybody. And and going to continue adding uh, products, and it's all natural and organic, and you know, makes you feel good, smell good, and look good. Oh my goodness, <laughs> you about to put a little song on me there? But before we go, now you just uh, I was uh, so I want to know what this is. Now DJ Cassidy, you was involved with. You was featured in the video, I believe, with DJ Cassidy? Yeah, I did uh, one of his, his uh, Pass the Mic series. Mm-hmm. And um, and that was fun. Everybody loves those. You know, he he gets uh, people to sing yes. along mm-hmm. with some, some mm-hmm. classics. And uh, they are fan favorites. And I, I had a lot of fun uh, doing that with him. And that's all I was saying, you know, being, being topical, being relevant, staying, you know, not limiting who you are. By staying relevant because of who you are. That's 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 I'm putting bring it back by home. But again, I always have a great time talking to you. You know we got to talk in June. What I'm not gonna do is ignore you going down, going up to Nashville. So we're gonna 
break out a little schedule. Rashad McDonald bring you back on in June so we can celebrate the induction on air money making conversation. We're gonna talk about hopefully by then I'm gonna order online while you're looking at me. The beard all straight out of JordyWildlyShot.com shop. We're gonna do all these <laughs> things, but you're fantastic. And when you come back, we gotta have that kitchen war conversation. You know, see, oh, yes. you know, cast out yes. skillet. See, no see, doubt. cast out skillet. See, what you can't do, I, we talk a lot off air. And my my uh, AP said, can you put some of that stuff on air, please? Thank you. Well, I'm sorry. We're gonna bring the cast out skillet conversation. Back connection. Back, back connection. Back <laughs> connection. So again, Jody, thank you for coming on Money Making Conversations. Thank you for having me. <laughs> My next guest is Rebecca Jarvis. She's an Emmy Award-winning journalist. She is ABC News Chief Business, Technology, and Economics Correspondent, the host and creator of The Dropout, a top-rated podcast that chronicles the rise and fall of Elizabeth Holmes, and the host and creator of the highly acclaimed No Limits with Rebecca Jarvis podcast, which features game-changing women. Now, as Chief Business, Technology, and Economics Correspondent, she reports for all ABC News programs, including Good Morning America, World News Tonight with David Meir, Nightline 2020, and This Week with George Stephanopoulos. She is on the show to discuss the latest ABC News original. It is an in-depth look at the jaw-dropping stock market twists and turns and the stunning chain of events now synonymous with the name GameStop. Please welcome to Money Making Conversations, Rebecca Jarvis. <laughs> hey, what an introduction. Thank you for having me. I love what you're doing here. It's, it's fantastic. I love the conversations you're having and helping people really figure out the building blocks of success. So thank you for what you do and thanks for having me. Well, great, because uh, you, we're both storytellers. And uh, and when I read your stories, and I, like I told before we got off the air, I, was, I just saw GameStop. I try, when I try to do my interviews, I try to watch what I'm or read a book the day before or <laughs> see the show the movies the day you know, within a 24 hour cycle that would think everything's fresh I'm not writing notes or trying to remember something and uh, but before we get started in in I gave all these titles but let's learn about your educational background can you tell us a little bit about you how you got started from uh, from an academic standpoint which led you to ABC through CBS <laughs> Yes, fantastic. Great. I'm glad we start there because it is such an important place to be in. So grew up in Northeast Minneapolis. I grew up, my mom is a journalist. She's a writer. Um, and my grandfather was also a journalist. And I always wanted to do that as a career, but they both told me, if you start that as a career, you're going to be graduating from college with a lot of student loan debt, and you will not be able to pay it off if you start out as a journalist. So I went to college at the University of Chicago. I always... Uh, gravitated towards math as a kid. I loved math. I also liked writing. Um, and I ended up studying economics in college and then immediately pursuing jobs early on out of college in investment banking. And the reason I, I share that is that for me, I was graduating pretty significantly in student loan debt. I had about $30,000 in student loan debt at my graduation. And I, in part, chose investment banking and a career in finance because for me, it was going to be a way that I was going to be able to know that I could make my student loan payments. I didn't have a financial safety net, so there wasn't anyone else who's going to be paying those student loan payments upon graduation. And I did that job for about two years until I got to a point where I felt like I could comfortably continue to pay down my loans and pay them off and then started at that point pursuing journalism jobs. Well, th th those jobs have uh, led you to all these shows that you now respected and cover. But isn't there a lot of pressure or a lot of uh, a clear understanding that people come to you 
for the facts. And so yeah. the, you have to do your due diligence and your homework, and you have to have relationships that, uh, that tell you this is the fact. Ride with it or run with your story. Yeah. And just like you, you know, you mentioned at the top of this program, you do your homework, you do your research. And I spend a lot of time digging into the data and the information and looking at numbers. A lot of my work today is spent reading research reports. And especially in the early days of my career, starting out in finance, one thing I I tell a lot of people, um, they ask me what the best way to get into journalism is. And for me, the best way was not necessarily going at it directly. It wasn't starting out and applying to newspaper and TV jobs right away. Instead, it was having that financial background that both lends me credibility today when I have to look at complicated pieces of financial information. And that's certainly something that we did with GameStop. Um, The documentary you mentioned at the beginning that's now streaming on Hulu that chronicles the rise and fall of the GameStop stock price and the phenomenon. I mean, to be able to look at the stock market, you really do have to have, um, or at least for me, it comes and handy to have a background in it and to really understand it. So starting out in finance, while it wasn't directly walking into a newsroom and starting out maybe as an intern or a junior level reporter, it allowed me in some ways to fast track my career so that when I did start applying for journalism jobs, I was coming into a newsroom with some credibility around this topic that I was going to cover, which ultimately today is now business technology and the economy. But in the early days of my career was really business-based. And I could go to um, editors, and this is what I did. I cold called. I I was in Chicago at the time, and I called up business editors in Chicago and asked them out for coffee. And I Mm -hmm. talked to them about their job, asked them how they got to where they got to, and I would go to each of those meetings with some ideas, pitches for them, story pitches. And at the end of the meeting, I would always say, I have some ideas that I would really like to share with you. Um, I'd be interested in in writing them for you if you ever had an opportunity for that. And I would share the ideas and they were all based on things that I saw in finance. And so if you are somebody who's on a path, especially to journalism, I think nothing beats great story ideas. So if you have a background or you're seeing things, bring those ideas to, and again, it can be cold calling. That's how I did it. I didn't know anyone. I didn't have a special leg up. I just contacted them. I, I went on their websites. I looked for the right person. I reached out, I contacted them. And another thing I would say about my story that I I think is really something that I encourage everyone to do, ask people to coffee without any kind of reservation. I mean, you don't have to have a specific pitch to someone about why you're going to get to know them. You can say, I'm I'm interested in your industry. Tell me more about yourself. I want to get to know you. And nowadays, I mean, we can do this over Zoom. You can do it over social media. You can do it on LinkedIn. All of these different platforms are entry points. And I tell people the most important thing to focus on is not who doesn't return your call, who doesn't return your email, it's the one who does because it only takes one to land the job that is going to bring you to your dream career. Awesome. Uh, let me tell you a little bit about myself. So you can, so yes. when we start talking, you get a sense of where I'm coming from, from a in-depth. Okay. Uh, my degree is in mathematics. Uh, my minor is in sociology. Okay. And, um, and so uh, economics, I tried that degree plan, couldn't get through couldn't get through. I tried my degree plan in engineering, couldn't get through, but math was a natural for me. Got that degree, cool. Um, I have invested in the stock 
several different times. One, I trusted myself, and then I went into the little the little funds. That's who. And then recently, I decided I'm going back to where I used to think. I would pick the stocks that I wanted to, and I went to my Merrill Lynch is where I do my stock and stocking net stock uh, investment in or through, and I said these are the stocks they want to. Well, we're going we're going to put you in the front. I said no, I want to do. <laughs> These stocks, this I'm going back to what I trust, myself and my thought process. So I want to let you know I have a, a some understanding of the stock market. I'm arrogant enough to tell people what I want to invest in. Not saying it may be the right, but I'm arrogant enough to say that. And so so when we start talking about GameStop, it's still, it still it, it helped me a lot to understand what's going on, but I also have some thoughts about Robinhood, that app, mm. which which I'm really uh you know, it was really interesting, Rebecca. I knew about, I, I was on the outside of this story until I read, saw your documentary. So it really brought me inside and re- let me know how this is, the stock market really is about everyday people. So what yeah. brought you into the story of GameStop? Um, well, I, first of all, thank you for sharing that background. I love that you have that background, that you're interested. And I think that's kind of where a lot of people are coming from. You know, I covered the financial crisis, the great recession of 2007, 2008. And what I saw happening in the, uh, financial crisis were so many people looking at their savings, their retirement savings accounts dwindling because the market was collapsing and they sold. And had they not sold in that environment, had they held on, they would have made their money back and then some within three years. Those who sold in the financial crisis were the ones who lost the half of their life savings on average. And so to me, I'm always drawn to these various events around the stock market that that captivate and capture everyone's attention because I see a responsibility in my role covering this for ABC News to be someone who can remind people of history. And when I saw GameStop, in particular, a single stock that was boosted by hysteria and excitement and this new trend of people really spending more time online because of the pandemic and having this technology in their hand via an app called Robinhood such that they could trade 24-7, It it reminded me of the importance both of the role to make sure that people were getting good information, solid information, and then also to really want to help people understand the difference between, for example, putting money into an individual company like GameStop versus putting money into a 401k or an IRA, which is investing and saving for the long term. GameStop is more the equivalent, and it's not just GameStop. Anytime you put money into a single stock, it is the equivalent of betting. It's the equivalent of gambling and walking into a casino, because if you're thinking of it in a short-term thing, a single stock can go up or go down. You can lose money. You can make money on a single stock. If you think about the stock market as a whole, the collective stock market over time historically goes up about 7%. Now, one year out out of 30, it might go down, it might go up. But over time, if you invest for the long haul, that's the most tried and true form of saving because over time, the market does go up. But you have to be in it for the long haul to capitalize on that. Whereas with a company like GameStop, you never know. And just the hysteria, I mean, I, I mentioned this Let me ask you this, because I want to yeah. make sure I'm on the same page with you about yeah. Robin Hood. Now, I saw Robin Hood as an app, okay? Yes. An app that you can go and buy stock 
on, right? I mean, you could buy Intel, you could buy Apple, you can buy GameStop in this situation. Am I correct? Am, are we still on the That's same? right. Okay, yeah. cool. Okay, cool. Now, the, the problem we had with Robinhood was that well, as you go through the story, GameStop, was, was everybody was buying GameStop through their app, and they didn't have the funds to cover the buys. Yes. So, so all of these brokerages, whether it's Robinhood or Charles Schwab mm-hmm. or any other brokerage, when you use the app on your phone, they have to have enough collateral to make sure that they can cover any trade that you make on your phone. And there's an outside agency that oversees all of this, that makes sure that Robinhood and Charles Schwab and all the other brokerages are safe, essentially, to do and conduct business in the way that they're conducting it. Well, what happened is GameStop, so many people were buying GameStop, and many of them were using the Robinhood app to do it, but they were using all different kinds of apps as well. So many people were buying GameStop that it just became explosive. It was larger than life, and that added new risks to the system. And as a result of those new risks, um, Robinhood, as well as a number of other brokerages, got this collateral call, which said, you have to put up way more money than you have ever put up before in order to back these trades. And as a result, Robinhood says it made this decision to restrict buying of GameStop. And they did this on January 28th. And after they did this, you saw the stock of GameStop plummet. It was like, it was going like this and then it went like that. Absolutely. Because there's a couple of people on this, uh, doing this uh, special, like Jim Cramer. Okay. Yes. Okay. See, there's a, there's another guy that's kind of like, he's the, um, he's kind of like the, um, the funny man version of Jim Cramer, who got everybody hyped up. He wears Dave the funny hat. Yeah, has the funny hats and everything. But I beg to differ. I mean, see, I go way back to, I want to say, I was writing on Me and the Boys, but about 95, between 2000, Jim Cramer was coming out of the box, kind of like this guy. Hyping stuff. That's when television. I mean, I was sitting there, Rebecca, making decisions on BAM, making decisions on Office Depot, making decisions on Kmart stock based on what Jim was saying. So I thought it was kind of like ironic listening to him being interviewed. And you did the same thing that this guy was doing so much so that John Stewart called you out for giving overhyped information on your show and he had to come on John Stewart's show to say, oh yeah, uh, you know, uh, I apologize, so to speak. And so, so when he was being interviewed, I was like, okay, Jim Cramer, really? You gonna sit up here and act like you weren't that version of this guy? Because we as, 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 fans of trying to get information. That's why I love this show, because I'm going like, I've been on this journey, Rebecca. I've been a GameStop participant just at a different time period, because it happens mm. all the time, because we, yes. we, it might not be as drastic as this, Rebecca, but we still are led by a lead. All we want is a lead. And when we look at these people, and they give us information that may be right or wrong. They 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 do their little identification. Don't don't follow me. I'm not an expert. Don't lead in. But but bye <laughs> but bye. And so so when you brought Jim Cramer in, what was the purpose of bringing him in? Because like I I I saw him as a different role because I had a different experience with him because he was a younger version. He was an older version of what I was seeing now being exposed in this documentary. 
Sure. So, okay. So I, I misspoke. I, I wasn't sure who you were talking about. And I thought you were talking about someone else. You were talking about Roaring Kitty. So yes. just some background. So there's a person, his name is Keith Gill, but he also has the YouTube name Roaring Kitty. Mm-hmm. Um, and he has a Reddit name that I can't say here yeah. um, yes. because we would both get in trouble <laughs> for my language. Mm-hmm. Um, but he is one of the first people who spotted GameStop Absolutely. when, when he was trading only a few dollars a share. Mm-hmm. He thought it was something that had value. He talked about it all over social media. Mm-hmm. A lot of people started to follow what he was saying and they started pouring money in. And his, his, when he first started talking about GameStop, it was about $4 a share. Mm-hmm. Six months later, it got up to $350 a share. And there was a lot of conversation on Reddit and other places on social media about the importance of putting money into GameStop and this idea that if all the sort of little guys decided to act collectively together that they could really drive up the price of GameStop. Um, Full disclosure, I started my career at CNBC in television and in business television. I have a lot of great friends there. Jim Cramer is one of them. But the reason that I wanted Jim Cramer Mm -hmm. to be a part of our conversation for for this story is because he has a front row seat. The people who watch Mad Money on a regular Mm -hmm. basis are many of the people who are investing in individual stocks. They're looking for that leg up. They're looking for that information. And I think what's really important to keep in mind, and I think this story is is, um, illustrative of that, is, you know, there's two sides to every position in the market. There has to be a buyer in, or if there has to be a seller in order for there to be a buyer. And I think that's what's so important is to at least know what you're walking into. So if you're going to put money into something and it's an individual stock, you have to be okay with the possibility that you could lose money. Now, Maybe all the statistics, all the data that you're reading is telling you, you know what, there's more upside than there's downside. Obviously, you you probably have to think that way in order to put money in. But the reality is there can always be downside. And when you use leverage, which is what a lot of people are now doing, it's always been the thing that hedge funds and the sort of big money on Wall Street is always using debt. It's called leverage to bolster their trades. So if I believe really heavily in something, I can borrow. If I'm a hedge fund, I can borrow from a bank more money to put into that individual stock. And that can help me make money if the stock goes up. But of course, I lose even more money if the stock goes down. And what's really important to keep in mind here is if you're an individual investor and you're using an app, then yes, you. some of these new apps like Robinhood will give you, if you meet certain criteria, they will give you access to that leverage. But it's so important to remember that if you're using that leverage and the stock goes down, you've not only lost the money that you put in, but you're actually out even more money because you're using debt to pay for your position. Wow. Um, First of all, again, like I said at the early part of our interview, fantastic special. It Thank kept you. me in. And this is why it was fantastic, because you brought in individuals that you can share their little storyline arts about, you know, the, the young African-American boy who I just love to death, the anonymous Jeez. investor with the, with the dog, you know, the dog. We, we could see the dog, <laughs> but we couldn't see him. OK, so we got to figure out we know who you are. OK. And then and then you had the, the the guy with the with the family and then the the, the, the young lady who had the Hispanic guy and then uh, with the new new child. And then you Aria, had the, yep. and then you had the uh the young lady with the grand with the mom who's telling the to invest who you know 
why did you choose these? First of all, they're perfect. Mm-hmm. Perfect, by the way. I'm just asking you from a from a producer storytelling standpoint. They work fantastic. Why did you choose them to make such a great ABC News original? Thank you. Um, first, I really do appreciate your your interest in in the conversation and the and the documentary. So we spent a lot of time looking at the Reddit board. So um, again, just a little bit of background for people. A lot of these individual investors who drove up the price of GameStop were spending time on on Reddit, having conversations. Now, a lot of people, you don't have to use your real name on Reddit. So it was a lot of trial and error. People at blah, blah, whatever their name is on Reddit, we would reach out and say, hey, um, I'm with ABC News. I'm working on this documentary. Do you have any interest in participating? I'd love to get to know more of your story. So of the people that you saw on camera, <laughs> probably about 10 people who had to do with, you know, did trading of GameStop, we spoke to truly dozens more. Um, and I just was on the phone constantly over that time and over email, constantly reaching out to people. And what was really important to me is that our audience got a true representation of the type of people and hear the backstories of all the different people who invested in GameStop. And, and that's really you know, one of the things, again, that attracted me to this was how widespread it was. It wasn't just one particular group right. of people. People from all different walks of life got interested. And I'm so glad that um, Jaden Carr, the 10-year-old from San Antonio, struck you. We found Jaden because he invested in GameStop thanks to his mom. His mom wanted to teach him about investing in stock. And so for his birthday, or rather, excuse me, for Kwanzaa, um, she purchased a few shares of GameStop. GameStop for him so that he could see what it meant to invest in the market. And she didn't do it in the midst of hysteria. And when everyone was talking about GameStop, she did it because he liked GameStop and he shops at GameStop. And there's this old saying, invest in what you know. Mm -hmm. And that was part of what made her think about GameStop for him because he loves going to GameStop. So teach him about investing through something that he loves. And I think that's a really, as a parent, um, I'm a parent myself. My daughter's not quite old enough to be an investor yet. <laughs> She's two. I don't know that she would understand it if I tried to teach her right now, but I love that. I think that's really a great way to teach your children about investing, starting with something they know and understand well, and the, in the, small amounts. Absolutely. The, the thing about this the event is that I can, you know, this is like there's gold in them, their heels, you know, people ran for the gold. <laughs> it felt like the gold rush. I, it felt so like Different times in life, we see this. The gold in them, their heels. People rush yes. to the California, and, and, and they risk their lives by going through dangerous Indian territory. So they might not risk money, but they risk their lives to try to seek that fortune. So that was the kind of like a period there. And then and then when you see, in like in the 80s and 90s, for the big bubble burst in 2007, mm-hmm. I was kind of there, you know, because that's when television, like the CNBCs came out and started showing you people talk about stock and talking about how you can invest in different ways. And that's that's when I got introduced as an African-American to that. I remember me and Steve Harvey used to always act like we were stock experts. We sit around just <laughs> talking. Well, we traded over. We traded. Didn't know nothing. And was, you are. Yeah. You know, we were, we, were, we were what I feel that this show and your documentary or your news original special tells about. We were just everyday people. We gathered enough yeah. information to buy certain things based on a hunch and the belief that this would return on our investment. And that's what it showed. If some people lost. 
everyday people. Some people got out early, everyday people, and some mm-hmm. people still hung in there. And I thought that was really the kind of like end results of your documentary is that it was a special about individuals who make their own decisions. They all got in for different reasons, Rebecca. They all got excited for different reasons. In the end, when it came time to either stay, pull the plug, they all did it for different reasons. That really had to be a strong emotional end to a a well-documented special. I'm I'm glad you thought that. And, you know, to your point earlier, it's such a good point. We see these things happening over and over again. Mm-hmm. When when the GameStop story first really took took on a life of its own in in sort of mid to late January, I was remembering uh, the times during the dot com bubble in 1999, mm-hmm. 2000, 2001, when all these tech companies were coming out. And even though some of the technology didn't exist that exists today, for example, Robinhood, the app didn't exist back then. There were the early days of internet chat rooms. There were the early days of people hyping, pumping, and dumping individual stocks. So as much as things change because the technology might be new or the modes of communication might be evolved, this is something that does repeat itself time and time again throughout history. You know, it's interesting that uh, Robin Hood had the great name, Rob from the Rich, Give to the Poor. (laughs) So that's why it was really a good media app and to really become the center of the conversation. But when I, but they just, they changed the rules right in midstream, you know, and, and companies do that all the time. It's like, for instance, you notice when uh, these uh, uh, gift cards, the gift cards used to be, you could keep them forever. And then all of a sudden they came and changed the rules. So you know something, if you don't spend that gift card in a year, it's not going to be any good anymore because it came back to what what burdened down or, or, or came to be the collapse of uh, what Robin Hood had to do on that date and stop buying is that if you don't have the money, if you have all these gift cards out there, you got to have capital to cover if one day somebody decides to show up and buy that gift uh, and use that gift card. Mm-hmm. And so they decided to change the rules. All of them changed the rules. They're saying that we're going to limit the amount of time you have to buy this card. Otherwise, it's going to become invalid. And so that's what really wore down the whole principle of Robin Hood. They didn't think about how big they could get. And if they got that big, what's our answer? And their answer was to say, stop buying. Right. And they really became the poster child, too, for all of the anger and outrage, even though other brokerages made the same choice. It was because of that name, Robin Hood, and the promise that they had made to democratize trading. And if you're saying you're going to democratize trading, but at the same time that, for example, a large hedge fund can do something different because they don't rely on your app, and your customer can't do that thing anymore, it does create a lot of problems. And now they're in this stage of rebuilding that trust. They still have millions of users. And in fact, their user base, um, based on the data that we've seen at ABC News, has grown throughout this whole thing. And what's really interesting to me is if you look at what's happened both to online trading as well as even GameStop as a name, all the attention that this story brought, good and bad, very likely will ultimately result in good things for all of these companies. GameStop was a company at the early days of this year that many people had largely written off. It was a company that had been closing stores uh, that a lot of really you know, smart people assumed was just going to go out of business. This gave it a new life. And now they're in the process of hiring new people. They're in the process of reimagining what the brand will be and rebuilding. And very likely, if we go back 
back in history five years from now, people will say this moment and all, everything that this moment brought helped GameStop have a second life. Um, and I and I think the pandemic, people being at home looking for things, I talked to a couple of guys who told me that investing in GameStop was like their trip to Las Vegas when they were stuck, not able to leave the house. Wow. Again, uh, an amazing special on Hulu. It's an ABC News original. It's a uh, Hosted by and uh, presented by Rebecca Jarvis. Uh, you're amazing. I'm a big fan of yours. Uh, I, I definitely want to bring you back on the show to talk about No Limits with Rebecca, your podcast that features game-changing women because I have six sisters. So I always try to promote and have a single daughter. So I always try to promote women and put them out there. And also Elizabeth Holmes. We got to talk about her. Oh, her yeah. story is amazing. Amazing. But again, I wanted to bring you on to talk about this GameStop because first of all, I finally got educated on it because of your amazing special. It's on Hulu. Check it out right now. It streams 24 hours a day. It's amazing. Rebecca, thank you for coming on Money Making Conversations. Rashawn, thank you so much. I really appreciate your interest and the great conversation. I'll come back anytime. This was fun. <laughs> thank you. We will be right back with more Money Making Conversations with your host, Rashawn McDonald. Hi, I am Rashawn McDonald, the host of MoneyMakingConversations.com. The Cafe Mocha Swag Award is a celebration of black men who are making a difference in our community by empowering others to reach their life goals. From civic leaders, businessmen, activists, celebrities, and everyday dads. The Cafe Mocha Swag Award winner this week is James Bronner. James is the Senior Vice President of Trade Show Operations, Director of Technology, and part owner of the multi-million dollar family-owned corporation, Bronner Brothers, Inc. The annual Bronner Brothers Beauty Show is billed as the nation's largest trade show for multicultural beauty professionals and students. Their role in the community was elevated when the Bronner Brothers stepped up for the beauty and barber industry during the COVID-19 crisis. We started our beauty and barber relief fund, so we had a lot of people to apply that would give them $500 to $1,000 of extra Stimulus. We also began to try to help them source uh, this PPE material. The Cafe Mocha Swag Award represents men who have strength, whose wisdom is assertive, and who is genuine in their spirit. Welcome back to Money Making Conversations with your host, Rashawn McDonald. My next guest is Jennifer Barrett. She's the Chief Education Officer at Acorns, a financial wellness app with more than 9.5 million users. She's a contributor for Forbes, and she has also written about money for publications such as the New York Times, the Washington Post, Worth Money, and Newsweek, where she was a staff writer and editor. She's on the show to talk about her new book, Think Like a Breadwinner. Think Like a Breadwinner is a book everyone can learn from. I did, and um, but it's geared towards women because, according to Jennifer, women have been culturally conditioned not to think like breadwinners. This book truly is about being financially independent. Please welcome to Money Making Conversation. I'm going to call her a good friend because before this interview, we were just talking and talking and talking. <laughs> Jennifer Barrett. How are you doing, Jennifer? <laughs> I'm doing great. Thanks so much for having me. I was just, you know, Jennifer, uh, we were just talking and talking. And I, I just feel really a, a certain kinship for you. Is that just a natural part of your personality that people just really uh, uh, gravitate to you? I don't know. That's I don't. No one's ever asked me that before. <laughs> but thank you for that. I do. I you know I was a journalist for many years, and um, so I think I'm used to. I, I like to make people comfortable. 
Well, you, know, you, you, you I, I really am genuinely interested in everyone I meet, so I think that that probably comes across when you meet me. Well, you you definitely are making me comfortable. I read your book, and uh, usually this is how I do. I, I read the book always the day of the interview. That's where the questions stay very fresh, very topical. I don't feel like I'm reaching for any information. Plus, mm-hmm. I also zero in on what really attracts me to the book. But before we get into the book, I, I read your title, Chief Education Officer at Acorn, 9.5 million users. Please explain. Explain to us what exactly is ACORNS and what exactly is your role as a chief education officer? Sure. Well, I joined a, a little over five years ago, about almost five and a half actually now. And one of the things that drew me to the company is I had been in financial journalist uh, journalism for years before that. And I sort of felt like we had been writing the same headlines so often about how little people save and, and how they're not prepared to cover unexpected expenses. And then we're on the brink of this retirement crisis. And I was beginning to wonder if getting information out alone was enough. Inspiration, information, if that was really enough to change people's behaviors. Um, and then I, my team, actually, I was a personal finance editor at CNBC, and my team had written a lot about these new fintech apps. And one of the things that really attracted me to Acorns was that it was such a simple but brilliant solution to a real barrier for so many Americans when it comes to investing. And that was the feature where we round up your purchases and literally invest your spare change. And I think what that does immediately is it removes so much of the fear that we have around investing, so much of these beliefs we have that you have to have a lot of money in order to invest, all of these things. Um, And so that's really what drew me to the company. And then I joined um, in a senior VP role, our VP role, then senior VP, and then was um, promoted into the chief education officer Role And that essentially means I spend most of my time thinking about how to promote financial literacy and to better educate not only our users, and we have around 9.5 million now, as you mentioned, but also everyone, you right. know, really thinking about how we can promote financial literacy in this country and just close that gap, close the wealth gap, close the financial literacy gap so that everyone has the opportunity to live the life that they want. Well, we came off a really strange year in 2020. Yes. You had people standing in line for food. You had unemployment at a record yes. rate. You had this country shut down for two months. And then we had the highest increase of billionaires in the world. And the stock market set records during the summer. Uh, NASDAQ crossed over a number and it never crossed over in the history. Now, being you the chief education officer at Acorns, a financial fintech app, fintech app, explain that to me, please, and my <laughs> listeners and viewers, please. Um, I mean, the simplest way to look at it is that the shareholder class got richer and the working class did not, for the most part. Um, so people who were more dependent on a paycheck struggled more, and people who uh, were more dependent on their investments, particularly in the stock market, Um, did quite well because, as you mentioned, the stock market has hit record highs, um, surprisingly, unless really given that we were in a recession last year and in a global pandemic. Um, But that's really the simplest way to look at it. And I think one of the, I mean, there are so, so much that we can learn from this pandemic, but one of the big lessons there is just the importance of getting in the game, you know, um, mm-hmm. and not depending solely on a paycheck, but really starting to use those paychecks to build wealth, even if it's 
five, 10, 15, 20, you know, $50 a month, really getting in the habit of taking some money and starting to build that wealth so that you're less dependent on paychecks. And then of course, making sure that you're saving some money, you know, especially during good times, because I think what happens in this country is that if you look at the savings rates, when things are good, the savings rate goes down. And it's almost as if we think like the good days will just keep happening. Mm -hmm. But that is exactly the time when you want to be putting more money into savings and investing because, you know, maybe not a pandemic. I hope we never have to deal with that again. But, you know, recessions happen, you know, the economy goes in cycles. And so during the good times, you want to be preparing yourself so that you can weather the bad times, too. And I think that was a big lesson of this pandemic, too. Well, you know, thinking about it, I'm I'm doing a kind of an interesting way of getting into your book because that's what your book is about. If you're if you're running, if you're if you're if your ears are bleeding talking about the stock market, if your ears are bleeding talking about career options and and that diversifying your opportunity to be successful, then that's what this book is all about. This book is about stepping out of your comfort zone into a zone that can re- create basically financial independence. And it's recently I was uh, I finally sat down and you know I've always just given my money to my my uh, my stock investor. And he's putting in the way you know we have the conservative fund and then we have the risky fund. I said stop stop. I want to invest <laughs> in uh, uh, Amazon. I want to invest mm-hmm. in Apple. I want to invest. I said excuse me, it's my money. I want to invest mm-hmm. in. I said, I said because I'm tired of you guys playing around with my world. So I try to take control of what I feel a direction of where I want. I got my Disney stock. I got my Blackstone, my Black uh, BlackRock stock. So mm-hmm. and I got a little Chevron. And so I diversified. Got me a little uh, 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 Citibank and Visa, mm-hmm. some finance, financial stocks. So so that's really what we're talking about when this book. This is a book of mm-hmm. my awakening was. I came out of the pandemic. I had this man money sitting over there, and I had a guy just telling me what to do. I'm just saying a guy it could be a female too who's handling mm-hmm. your stock and. Basically, that's what Think Like a Breadwinner is all about. We go through life, whether you're male or female. In this particular case, it's about females. And guess what? And we settle. We kind of settle for what we assume is the life we are supposed to lead. And unfortunately, when the curve hits or the bump in the road hits, the woman is not prepared. And you said that to yourself. You didn't hit a bump in the road, but you had a, a what they say, a, a revelation. <laughs> I did have a revelation. Yes. You know, how this, this apartment that you was in was closing in on you when at yes. one time you thought it was it was all cool. You thought you were set. Talk mm-hmm. about that initial journey into your revelation, which has led to you be a success story in the financial market, but also to write this brilliant book called Think Like a Breadwinner. Thank you. Yes, I had my own wake up call. And I think looking back, I was really fortunate because um, I had a wake up call early in my life, um, early in my parenthood. And um, so I was able to make some changes and get on the right course. And I wasn't faced with, you know, really terrible situation. It was just a situation where my husband and I were in a small one bedroom apartment with a toddler who was outgrowing his crib. And he was three feet from the bed. And I really hadn't been paying attention to where we were. I was just sort of um, comfortable. I was a new mom. I was really focused on our baby. And, and one night I was up with him and I was pacing back and forth in our bedroom. I think any parent can relate to this, you know, trying to get him back to sleep. And I looked around and it really hit me. Like we're in an unsustainable situation. And, you know, all my life I had wanted kids. 
you know, I really deeply wanted a second child. We, I loved where we lived in Brooklyn. I loved our neighborhood. We had this network and friends and I didn't want to leave. And we wanted a place of our own. And I realized in that moment that even though I thought I'd been doing a lot, right? Like I was covering half the bills. I had a little 401k, I had a little bit of savings that I really wasn't making the kinds of money choices that would ensure that we could afford these things that were so important to me. And I, I, ask myself, why <laughs> had I not been making those, those choices, taking that action with my money? And I realized that deep down, I had been depending on my husband to do all the financial planning for our future, because that's how I'd grown up. My dad had been the main or, or sole breadwinner for most of my childhood. And so I sort of grew up subconsciously expecting to depend on my partner for a lot of that. Um, so then I kind of asked myself, you know, after realizing that I sort of why was I thinking that? And then I asked, what if I had been raised instead to be the breadwinner? You know, what if I had grown up believing that I would be fully financially responsible for myself for life and probably a family too? Would that change the choices I made with my money? And the answer was a resounding yes. And so then the question was, okay, what do I do now? And that's really where it started. Well, the, the interesting thing about it is that that's why I say, you know, I'm not going to take any way. This is in the brilliant book. But if you're a man, this happens to you. If you yeah. are a person who's going through life, you know, it's, it, just put, let me be an example. I went to went to college, uh, got my degree in mathematics, my minor in sociology, went to work for IBM. And, you know, I'm thinking this is my life, you know, and yeah. I eventually quit IBM and started a career as a stand-up comedian, which led to a lot of other great things in my life. But I, I made that decision. You understand what I'm saying, Jennifer? I yeah. made that decision. And so this book is about telling you, don't be the person where the decision is being made for you. And exactly. that's what happens so much in the breadwinner conversation that you're talking about. I decided to leave IBM. So it means that I planned my exit. I had some money saved. That wasn't enough money, by the way. But I had some money saved because I planned <laughs> I was going to be a success in entertainment. So this is about thinking out of the box about yourself. And in some words, a lot of people use this word wrong, incorrectly, selfish, because I think at some points you have to think about yourself. Talk about oh, that yeah. whole process of thinking about yourself and outside of the revelation, because you have to be, you have to be selfish. Well, you have to take care of yourself. Mm -hmm. And I don't, I don't necessarily, and I know some people do say that's being selfish, um, but you really can't take care of anybody else unless you're taking care of yourself. Mm -hmm. um, and so I don't think of it as being selfish. I think I'm not in a position to really care for my family if I'm not caring for myself. Right. And that that is, you know, both the self-care aspect of it, but also financially. Right. And really, you know, to your point, what this came down to is like people are in different situations. But what it came down to was that I was depending on someone else to make sure the future that I wanted happened. I was relinquishing that responsibility to someone else. Mm -hmm. And, and I wanted to take back some of that control. I wanted to feel really secure that these things that were so important to me in my life came to pass. And that meant really confronting the underlying beliefs that had, you know, informed the money choices that I'd made and then confronting these, these, you know, money things in my mind, like, am I, am I good with money? Can I do this? Am I, am I, am I capable of earning more? All of these kind of fears come up to the surface when you start to say, I am going to take financial responsibility for my life. Right. I can do this, right? Because that gives you such tremendous agency over your life. 
And it is an incredible feeling. And I know that a lot of people don't really get that message when they're growing up. It's not just women, but I do think culturally, <laughs> we are not conditioning women to really think of themselves as wealth builders, right? As being real providers of being able to support the lives that they want and to support others' lives too. And then really being given the tools to do that. And I think that's true of a lot of Americans. We do a really bad job of educating people about finances in this country. We have a ways to go. But I do think that the message that women get combined with that lack of education can do more damage. You know, So I think we have a wider gap to close as women. And if you look, really just step back and look at the data points there, women really are lagging men financially by almost any measure. And there's no reason for that. Right. There's really no reason for that anymore. Um, so I, it's this book is really about like removing those internal barriers and overcoming the external barriers so that you can reach your wealth building, earning potential and, and have the life that you really want. Well, you know, the interesting thing about the book, I want to back up just a little bit. And we're sure. going to bring race in just a little bit. It's just a positive yeah. version of life. Well, you know, you have black women and you have white women. And you mentioned something about black women. Well, they were exposed to the uh, the breadwinner philosophy for decades. Explain about yes. that. And then why white women have been, been conceptualized by the Disney princess philosophy of living. Yeah, I think, um, and I talk about this in the preface, so I know that, um, you know, that the, the breadwinning rates are much different depending mm -hmm. on, um, you know, different races and different communities. So we know that, for example, you know, right now, overall, we have had this paradigm shift in the breadwinning model overall. So in more than 40% of households with kids under 18 overall, women are now the main or sole breadwinner. But if you look at the Latina community, if you look at the black community, that has been the case for a long time. Um, and the numbers are even higher. But what I'm really talking about in this book is something that's a lot more universal, which is, you know, even if you sort of expect, oh, I may end up kind of taking care of myself and taking care of my family. I don't feel like as a culture, we are setting women up for success in that role. So it really doesn't matter where you come from. What I tried to do in this book was take the breadwinning lens and apply it to every aspect of your finances. So if you're really thinking like, what do I want in my life? And what are the choices I need to make with my money and my career or my job path to support that? And then applying that lens everywhere, you really start to see there's such um, a dichotomy between the messaging that we're getting as women and what we really want to be doing if we want to be able to truly support ourselves. And that's everything from like credit, where we're being marketed this message of like credit cards are a way to close the gap between this life that we can afford and the things that we want. And that's not really it at all. If you're looking at it as a breadwinner and in the fullest sense, you're thinking, how do I build my credit so that one day I can buy a home? And you're using, in that instance, you're leveraging credit to build wealth because most Americans have most of their wealth tied up in their homes. And if you can't buy a home, that really holds you back. So that's what I'm talking about. It's thinking, it's like, it's not just earning more. It's right. really thinking more expansively about your capabilities and the possibilities for your life. Well, you know, the interesting thing about your book, first of all, you did, you did a fantastic job of laying out the blueprint Thank of what you. you're trying to convey in this. And you do it very special with your interviews. And the reason I say it's very special with your interviews, because you interview people to give examples. Because a lot of people, when they read a book like this, they'll say, I can't relate, or that's not me. Well, 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 I'm sorry. She interviewed enough of you me's 
that I'm pretty sure you're going to find yourself in this book. Talk about that journey of finding the different people that you interviewed for the book. And did they, did what was their takeaway? Did they learn something from the interview process that you brought to the table from there, to the, through the interview process that you brought to the table for them? Sure. Um, well, I definitely learned something from every single person I interviewed and I interviewed over a hundred women and mm-hmm. I intentionally tried to find women from a whole diverse range of backgrounds from all over the country in a lot of different fields, making a lot of different incomes so that we could be pretty representative. So there mm-hmm. are single parents, there are single women, there are same sex, you know, heterosexual couples, um, a really pretty wide range. Um, and I, I learned a lot. From them, I really did. I um, learned a lot in every conversation, um, and I, I would like to think that it's it was mutual too, because you know I'd spend like anywhere from an hour to five hours with each of them, and sometimes I'd come back to them. Like during the pandemic, I went back to a lot of them to see how they were doing, how things had changed, and really tried to incorporate that in the book as well. Um, but yeah, I think it's so important to have all these stories because I can only speak from my own experience, right? And look, I'm fortunate. I grew up in a middle-class suburban household. My parents were professors. You know, I had a lot of privilege growing up and I wanted to make sure that it wasn't just my story that drove the book. I could talk about my own experiences, but I really wanted to bring in a lot of different perspectives too. Well, that was important because again, like you said, you know, my perspective, I come from inner city, uh, six sisters, two brothers. My father's mm-hmm. a truck driver. Mom didn't work. That's a totally different experience if I just wrote from that experience. And I could be very uh, very uh, global in my approach. Well, this is what you got to do to be that. But when you brought mm-hmm. in the examples, and some of them were very memorable. I thought they, they, they had an interview when you the, the, the lady who was married to the guy who didn't want kids, and then she eventually mm-hmm. left him, and she had her kids. She, yeah. And I, that type of independence is happening every day nowadays, where mm-hmm. if you try to do that the 60s, 70s, 80s, people would look down on you. But that level of independence for women are allowing them to do what you're asking them to do in this book, to step forward, be yourself. You can be independent. And that's what this is all about, being independent and not being dependent, correct? Totally. And I, when I talk about my own story, one of the reasons I think I was so fortunate is that as I started interviewing women, I heard incredible stories. People really opened up and they had suffered some really terrible things. I, one woman had been in an abusive relationship and didn't think she could afford to leave. That was a true story. And I heard stories like that, or I had stories of people who really wanted to have kids, didn't find a partner, hadn't saved up the money and panicked and didn't think they could afford to have a kid financially. And so they gave up something that was incredibly important to them. So I I think about, you know, being stuck in a toxic environment, being stuck in an abusive relationship, you know, having to feel like you have to give up something that's so important to you because you didn't financially plan for it, because you don't have savings, because you were so dependent on your partner or your paycheck that you feel like you have no choices. I don't want any woman to be in that situation. I mean, that's what really drives me because as I started doing these interviews, I realized just how lucky I was that I wasn't in that kind of a situation when I had my wake up call. And now I looked back, you know, I talk in the savings chapter about, I looked back at some of the experiences I've had in my career. I mean, there, I've had some serious sexual harassment experiences early in my career. And I think I put up with some things because I didn't have the savings. And in other cases, I had the safety net of my parents or I had savings and I didn't put up with things. Like I was able to, to walk out of a job after a particularly bad incident because I had my parents, because I had a little bit of savings. Imagine if I hadn't, you know, and that's what I started to think about is like, imagine if you are so dependent on your paycheck or a partner that you can't afford to leave. 
that is a terrible situation. I don't want anyone to ever be in that situation. So that's part of this book too, is really just like, you know, preparing yourself, not only to support the life you want, but ensuring you're never stuck in a situation that you don't want. Well, you know, more importantly, uh, I'm talking to Jennifer Barrett. She's the author of this wonderful book, Think Like a Breadwinner. And it's an eye opener for me as a male. It's a book that's, uh, (laughs) Just geared toward women, a female point of view, a wake-up call for women to understand how they should gain. Let me just put it this way. Women in general, start making your decisions for yourself. In other words, stop rolling into what you feel is, this is what I'm supposed to do. This is the life I'm supposed to be living. And that's what this book does for me. At the beginning of my show, I always talk about lead with your gifts and don't let your age, friends, family, or coworkers stop you from planning to live in your dreams. And basically, that's what this book is telling you. You know, look in the mirror at yourself and be be dependent on yourself. And we talked about it off air, but when you start talking about marriages, you say, Rashawn, I'm going to just say she talked to me like this, Rashawn, because I read it from the book. I felt like she was talking to me, y'all. Okay. She said, Rashawn, 50% of the people get married, and they know it ends in the divorce. But they don't care. They don't They don't, They don't. don't plan for the possibilities that it might end in the divorce. If you were given that number 50% on anything that you do in a daily life, if you were heard it was 50% chance of rain, you would probably take an umbrella. If you heard the, the temperature was going to drop, 50% chance it was going to drop under 40 degrees, you would take a coat. But when it comes to marriage, Marriage, we have such a naive approach to it, like, won't happen to me. And when it does happen, there's no preparations. So with that being said, how does one shift from the from the person who's being taken care of to the breadwinner? How does that, how do they make that shift? Yeah, I mean, I think it starts with looking at your income and being very realistic about is the income I'm earning supporting the life that I want. And then, and I know this is really hard and because I've interviewed people and so many of our Acorns users are in this position too, because a lot of people feel like they're living paycheck to paycheck. And I certainly did when I had my wake up call and we're thinking, we don't have any money to save or invest. Like we're barely getting by, but you don't need to put a lot of money aside. It's just so important to get into the habit of using your paycheck, using each paycheck to be less dependent on your next paycheck. And what I mean by that is using anything you can from that paycheck you get to put into savings, high yield savings, to put into the stock market and bonds and start investing that money so it can grow for you because that's how you break the chain, right? That's how you break your dependence on every single paycheck, how you break the paycheck to paycheck cycle, how you build real wealth. When I'm talking about wealth, I think we have this notion of wealth as being like, I don't know, McMansions and yachts Mm -hmm. and all these things. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about having enough money growing in the background of your life by investing it, that you have the money to make choices in your life, that you have the money to, you know, to go back to school if you want or go to school if you want. You have the money to start a business if you want to. You have the money to travel, to buy Mm -hmm. a home, all of these things, you know, they require more than you're usually making in a paycheck. And so it's so important to get into that habit. I don't think Mm -hmm. women, especially, we are, we are not encouraged to be wealth builders. We are not encouraged to say, I want to make money, earn money. I want to make a lot of money. You know, Mm -hmm. we are not encouraged to think that way or even to consider that we're good investors when the the research actually shows that we're better investors than men often. We get good returns. So that it starts with that. And then it starts, you know, obviously you don't want credit card debt. You want to be building your credit 
um, you know, all of these things. And you want to be really thinking strategically about your job path or your career so that it's not just what am I making now, but what am I going to make next year, five years from now? How do I take the steps now to set myself up, you know, to earn more? I remember listening to Ash Cash talking about he was a bank teller and already had dreams of being, you know, a bank manager, of, mm-hmm. of moving into an executive role. He was thinking three steps ahead. And mm-hmm. that's how you have to think is, am I doing the things right now that, that are going to set me up? so that I have the role I want to have in two years, five years down the road. Well, you know, you have to think, if you don't think about the future, and we have a general tendency to think every 30 days, uh, paycheck to paycheck. And if you think like that, you really don't see the potential pitfalls that can happen. And I think that in the beginning of the books, when you, mm-hmm. you were kind of like paycheck to paycheck. And then oh, yeah, one day yeah. you just woke up. And I was like, thinking like that. Right. Yeah. You, you woke up, you know something, this paycheck to paycheck is not going to work out because... Uh, I'm in a one bedroom and I'm looking at my baby and my baby's growing paycheck to paycheck. And so that that awakening that made you move forward. With that being said, you know, we have so many barriers, you know, when we think about athletics for women and you, there's a, there's a, you know, title nine to have yeah. women have uh, equal sport participation in colleges. And right now we hear about situations in soccer, trying to eat tennis and professional sports. But when it comes to academics, I'm, I'm talking about the, the learn world executives. We know there's a chauvinistic philosophy that's stopping women from getting equal pay. And yep. so that, like you said, you, you was in some uncomfortable situations where you had to leave. And when you think back on certain situations, you, you took some stuff that you probably shouldn't have taken in job environments. How would that being said, I know it's not going to happen overnight, and I'm not trying to get you to go there even this conversation. But this book allows me to at least open up the eyes for the reader to say, hey, start thinking about the possibilities. And that really is the basis of this book, the possibilities. And shape those possibilities into opportunities, and then opportunities turn into goals. Is that the right strategy I'm putting in place about your book? 100%. It starts with having a vision for what you want in your future and then thinking about what you can do to get there. Um, and planning that strategy and taking it step by step. You know, it took me a few years to get on the right track, but that's, you know, that it starts with asking yourself, what do I want in my life? Not what can I afford right now in my life? Not what do other people expect from me in my life? What do I want in my life and how can I make it happen? And that gives you such a sense of agency when you start taking the steps to make it happen. And the other, you know, the other thing that you pointed out is that, look, if we look at the numbers Women are lagging men on every financial measure right now. So mm-hmm. if you just do the status quo, like if you just <laughs> fall into that, that's where you're going to end up. Mm-hmm. So you have to actually stop and say, no, wait, that is not how I want it to go for me. I don't want to get paid less than the guy down the hall. I don't want that. Mm-hmm. I don't want to be passed over for a promotion. You know, these are very real barriers. And so it's important for us to be aware of them, but then also think about, okay, what am I going to do so I get that promotion? So, for example, we know there's research out there that shows that women are more likely to pick up what's called office housework or non-promotable work, where the ones like organizing the meetings or cleaning the conference room or whatever it is, and that people are more likely to ask women to do that. That doesn't mean we need to say yes. You know, right, <laughs> we can right. be nice about it, mm-hmm. but we don't need to fall into some of these traps. And I think the first step there is awareness. Like if you are aware that this is happening. And you say, no, wait a second, I don't want this to happen to me. Mm-hmm. Then the question is, okay, what steps are you going to take so that that doesn't happen to you? Because you want your life to go on a different trajectory. And I'm sitting here 12 years later telling you that is entirely possible. You know, I'm not saying it's always easy, but it is entirely possible to say like, Mm-mm, 
no, this is not me. I don't want to be making, you know, 18 cents less or more, you know, than, than the white man down the wall. It's Absolutely. just not going to be mm-hmm. me, you mm-hmm. know? Um, but then you have to be aware of that. And then you have to think about, okay, what do I need to do to make sure I get that promotion? All right, I'm going to track every single thing I'm doing for this company and look at how it's supporting this company. And when I come in there and ask for that promotion or that raise, I'm going to have numbers right. because numbers don't lie. It takes the emotion out of it really hard to argue with numbers. You know, so so it, a lot of this is the approach. You know, I, I want to say this, uh, you know, we're in that era, you hear that term cancel culture and because uh, mm-hmm. so many people are finally speaking up, finally saying, look, I deserve to be recognized for my work, for my pain. Yes. And I don't want this book to become a victim of that thought process of canceling. Oh, they, oh women, they should be satisfied. They should, they should be happy being at home. They should be happy taking care of. Because your book is brilliant. I'm just going to be mm-hmm. honest with you. I've read it and, and I started reading it again because we missed our first interview. And I was just so moved by the, you know, do not wait till your mid-30s. That's a theme in this book. In the mid-30s, these women are starting to wake up. Wake up at 19. Wake up at 16. Wake up at 21. Don't wake up in the mid-30s. And then you then that's what happens. You get in that trap because age starts to come in. You go, can I make a, can I pivot? And sometimes people don't care if you can't pivot. They're going to pivot for you and kick you to the curb. And so that's the wonder of this book is that don't let age stop you. Don't let allow yourself to wait too late. But more importantly, Read books like this, and it will focus you early. Give it to your daughter. Allow her to have a sense that she can be independent. It's all right to have freedom thought. It's all right to think about themselves. It's all right to focus on financially being financially independent. Wonderful book, Jennifer. I'm really glad we was able to pull this interview off because you are amazing. Thank you. Oh. Thank you so much. I really appreciate that. And I had such a good time today. Good. I'm glad because I had a good time reading it. You made me smile and I hopefully I made you smile. Just thinking about some of the fun parts of the book. But again, thank you for coming on Money Making Conversations. All right. Thank you. If you want to hear more interviews or see more interviews of Money Making Conversations, please go to moneymakingconversations.com. I'm Rashawn McDonald. I am your host. Please buy this book. Please remember, always lead with your gifts and don't let your age, friends, family, or coworkers stop you from planning or living your dreams.